It's the Conflab. It means an intimate or private discussion or conversation. to the Conflab, everyone, from wherever you are, we've got a very special guest today, but I want to welcome you first from wherever you are, whether you are folding the sheets or walking on a beach, we're just stoked to have your ears and now your eyes today. So my special guest today is Brett Robbo. Hey, mate, how are you? I'm bloody brilliant and I'm abundantly grateful to be here, finally seeing you in the flesh after two years being away. Two bloody years. It's been a long time, but it's so good to have you in our new studio we really wanted to kick the podcast off with you because you were the lever that popped me out of that safe space of not doing something like this. But, uh, hey, you're the first guest on our new season, Resilience, and I can't think of any better. So I'm going to dive, in, dive into your bio because I do this this way and then we'll get straight into everything else and let you go for it. Let's do it. So Robbo's a proud father and husband, sought-after mindset and performance coach, well-being educator, popular podcaster and an optimistic lover of life. What a bloody mouthful that is. <laughs> <laughs> He's married to the very beautiful Marie. She's a Swedish professional race walker and have two full of life, abundant little amazing humans that that ran him, run him ragged, I'm sure, <laughs> but wouldn't have it any other way. Their life is full of adventure and travel as they traverse across the globe from Sweden to Oz, visiting family and enjoying every part of this fabulous globe. Originally, Robbo is from the small town in central western New South Wales called Cobar. So, to all you Cobarians Cobar- out there, everyone from Dubbo, <laughs> yeah, welcome to the Conflab and hope you love what he has to say. I'm sure you will. He's quite the young sportsman and was offered contracts in rugby league and a scholarship at the AIS for sprinting. The scholarship won the battle and his journey into coaching high performance people, whether it was athletes, CEOs, or everyday people started as his sprinting career ended. You haven't ended your sprinting career, though, have you? You still run. I still sprint, but it's definitely not a career. Not a career. It's usually with a baby in <laughs> <Yeah>. my arms <laughs> or on my shoulders these days. Yeah. <laughs> sprinting after them, yeah. yeah. As a personal friend and mentor of mine, I know Brett has the biggest heart and a deep desire to live life to its fullest by thriving in all aspects, body, mind, soul, and strength. However, this is not enough for him. He also wants to take as many people as he can on this same journey. Brett's intention is to live to 110 and still be running at 100. That's a small goal, mate. (laughs) You need to think bigger. (laughs) So health is a huge value for him, but it doesn't stop there. So let's get into this. So that goal has actually changed a little bit and I'll be wrestling my great grandkids as well. So not only running at 110, but I'll be wrestling the great grandkids. So it it has expanded a little bit. Love that. Love (laughs) that. Love that. Wrestling them at 110, that's fantastic. Hope you win. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Look, I'm just so chuffed to have him here today. Like he means a lot to me. So you all hear that. We'll probably get a little bit emotional through this episode too. But that's cool. Um, we're great mates. We spent so much time on the beach working out. He'd flog me. He would used to say this to me, say, I don't want to train you that hard that you can't operate during the day. But little did he know that I kept my water together till the training session was over. I'd get around the corner after I left his house and I'd just about fall over on the footpath. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, I do remember one one episode where you and I were training and uh, I think you were worried. 
about me that day. You went, oh, you're right. We had to stop here and sent me home. And I, and I was thinking on the way home, he, he, he's a Paralympic coach and he's worried about me or he's coached strength for some football teams like the Swans and the Roosters and stuff and he's worried about me. I must be in bad shape. <laughs> <laughs> I think it was very warm that day, very humid and there was a lot of sweat happening but I actually remember one session where you were worried about me where you threw the medicine ball and I turned around to sprint after it and all of a sudden there was a big light pole in front of me. And, uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, his elbow uh, went at 90 degree angles around the pole. Yeah. Yep. Going the wrong way. Knocked yep. me around for a little bit. How's your elbow now, mate? Uh, yeah, it's good. It's uh, very very busy picking up the toddlers often and uh, throwing them around. So it's it's fine, mate. No need more weights. No need more weights. You've got kids now. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Honestly, 70% of my training sessions over the last couple of years have been with the kids. And that's one thing that, um, you know, when we look at adaptability, intelligence and adaptability, because I love training on my own. But one thing I realized was, well, I'm either going to uh, have to put my training aside and not look after my it's not even health and fitness. It's just my energy levels and, um, you know, getting the endorphins pumping and making me feel good because family life is pretty full on. Uh, or I'm going to dump the kids with my wife more often than she needs to be with them uh, to be selfish and go off and do my own training sessions. So it was pretty easy for me to just chuck them on my back and do push-ups on the ground and pick them up and play games with them in that sort of way and run with them in the pram and that sort of stuff. So that's what most of my training looks like, including this morning – running up and down sand dunes, carrying the one-and-a-half-year-old, racing my three-and-a-half-year-old. That was my training session today. Oh, that I loved awesome. it. <laughs> yeah, it wasn't my training session this morning. Actually, well, I'm... I can drop the kids off and you <laughs> can put the, pick them up and do that. Yeah, thanks. Mate. I actually broke a record this morning, so I was pretty happy with my training session. So, Well done. Yeah. High five to that. High five. Let's do it. Um, yeah, so how's Marie? Marie is gorgeous. Yeah. inside and out and I don't just say that because she's my wife she's a really special human and uh, I am so blessed to have met her we met when we were 25 and we'd lived life a fair bit and uh, we we're pretty adventurous before we met we we're very adventurous now we have met and yeah she's doing amazing she's back into the flow and coaching I mean life's pretty challenging at the moment moving from one country to the next and there's a lot of curveballs that are out of our control yeah. uh, but honestly she's one of my greatest teachers as well she does a lot of the same sort of work as I do so we really anchor into each other and um, hold each other accountable to make sure that we are you know not not beaten by all of these challenges and we're tapping into the systems and processes and the tools and strategies and yeah. really connecting deeply and not just on the surface level stuff that we need to deal with so yeah. she's amazing yeah I want to dive into that I've got I've got a bunch of questions here for you, you know that I, I want to dive into that right now so like you said to me and you sent a message last night which we're going to ask you about later that um, you said to me that you've got these tools and all this all this learning that you've done and all these different things that you've adapted and adopted into your life. I've got a word for you, by the way, before we get into that. It's not vicissitudes, is it? It is vicissitudes. <laughs> there you go. Vicissitudes, like all the little challenges. I love that word. It's so awesome. Anyway, so that's your word now. So give the meaning again. So vicissitudes put- is, the, is basically the ebbs and flows of life. It's the ups and downs. It's the curveballs, as you say. It's the not sailing smoothly. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's the 40-foot wave coming at you and then it's the, you know, absolutely no wind so you can't sail. So that's the vicissitudes. Or like everyone else would probably say it, it's the shit, you know. And um, as we heard Josh Cummings say, his, his psychologist said, sometimes, Josh, life's not perfect. You have to sit in the shit. Sit in the shit. Yeah. I remember that one. So that – that's anchors into what I was going to ask you is with all the tools and all of the um, stuff that you've learned, sometimes 
do they all work or sometimes do they not work? Can I tell it through a story? Yeah, please. So coming back to Australia, uh, walking around the supermarket, I haven't been I haven't had the time yet to go to a fresh food market. It's happening tomorrow and I'm like I'm jumping out of my skin to get back to a farmer's market. Yeah. So they just don't exist in North Sweden where we were living for obvious reasons when the country's covered in snow. Anyway, so going back into the supermarkets and navigating my way around and what should be a 20-minute shop is taking me over an hour and I get to the eggs and I want to buy some organic eggs. And um, a lot's changed in Australia including the price of things. Oh. But in saying that, Sweden is more expensive than Australia. So looking at all the different organic eggs and um, I finally made my choice and spend a lot more time in the supermarket than I need to. And I get home and I know it's uh, it's feed time in the zoo and with the two little toddlers, three and a half and one and a half, and they're full of energy and just right up until literally until they actually fall asleep. My, my daughter in the cot, she will still be jumping around and rolling around telling me all about the day and then she'll just bang, fall, and then she's asleep. So literally until then they are on the go. So yeah. I knew when I was walking in, that's what I was coming home to. And I opened up the boot and the, uh, the, the back of the SUV and then uh, the, the organic eggs fall out, bang, onto oh, the ground. no. And um, they fell on the ground. I said, you're fucking kidding me. And I bent down and picked them up and I opened it and, I, and five of them were broken. I, said, I laughed and I said, no, you're not kidding me. You're testing me. I'm going to make an omelette. Yeah. And so I went upstairs and dealt with feed time in the zoo and putting them down and everything. And then afterwards I walked out and I got all the broken eggs and put them into a fry pan. I cooked them up. And I didn't eat them then, I saved them for the next day, but, you know, I won that one. So in that moment, so the answer to your question is in that moment, those tools worked because, you know, we talk about resilience and the thing about emotional resilience is the ability to actually have that emotional agility. When I went to, you're fucking kidding me, I could have stayed in as the victim and just had the shits and been angry and gone up to my beautiful family and taken that anger with me, or maybe not anger, but just frustration Frustration, with me. Put the frustration on the kids, put the frustration on my beautiful wife. Uh, But in every single moment, you get the opportunity to do like a mindset shift, to change your perspective of the situation. So yes, uh, those tools work sometimes. Uh, And then I'll give you another example where... Just yesterday, we had uh, some real hiccups with getting my uh, 18-month-old daughter's dual citizenship approved. More vicissitudes. More vicissitudes, yep. They just keep coming after one after another after another. And, uh, you know, everything's out of our control, so we can't get her Medicare. We can't get her into uh, Centrelink. They can't go to daycare until all that's done. They said, you're just going to have to wait. And I said, wait for what? Like, we're in a very blessed position where we're not going to end up on the street, but when you ask people to wait for this kind of thing, do you realise the ripple effect for that? And I started to get a bit heated and I stopped myself and I said to the person on the phone, I'm so sorry, I just raised my voice at you. This is not against you at all. This is against the system and I'm really sorry that I act, like that you had to hear that. And she said, no, look, um, I get where you're coming from and I'm really sorry that I can't change the system for you. Like this is the most that I can do. But I got off the phone and I was – I cried. Like yeah. I actually put my hands in my head in my hands because we've had uh, – a hit after hit after hit since we've arrived. But at the same time, we're staying in this beautiful apartment right on the beach mm. and my family's all happy and healthy mm. and I, I'm surrounded by legends like yourself and, you know, everything on everything else is really amazing and then I go back into this little bubble and it just hits me, hits me, hits mm. me. And so every like every day in life anyway, but there's just these, these constant opportunities. But a few days ago, we opened up our storage shed. We've been away for two years. We thought we'll go and check out how our gear is and um, it's actually covered in mould and uh, most of it. So we're sitting there looking at all this stuff and forgot a lot of it, what we had, and we're just like, right, 
instead of taking this now and setting up life, we're looking at how do we get it to the tip? Yeah. And there's a few little things that we've been able to save you uh, and a lot of things that are just, just gone. I, I'm telling more stories because it answers your question and it puts things into perspective to set this up. So I take this big bag of clothes home and uh, we're back to the apartment where we are and I'm going through it and there's quite a lot of mouldy stuff and then there's just a few things that were wrapped really well in different plastics and everything and they weren't mouldy and it was my good clothes. Yeah. And I was doing a, a presentation the next day. This was only a couple of days ago. So I took these pants out and this one shirt out and I thought, I'll wash that now and I'll wear them tomorrow. And the other good clothes in there, there wasn't that many, but there was a few and there was some Paralympic gear from when I've travelled the world with them and um, just a couple of good shirts and things like that. I put that in a garbage bag and left it outside the door and then took these other couple of big bags of clothes full of mould and just threw them in the bin. And, my, you know, when we first saw that, I kind of I was – a bit sad and a bit frustrated at the mould but then also we kind of predicted it because we left for six months and we got back two years later so we didn't pack it away for that. Anyway, so the next day uh, I've gone and done that gig. We get home and um, there's a note under our apartment door from the neighbours and it said, hi folks, we know you're not from here, just want to let you know that the garbage chute because we're staying up on level seven doesn't work so you can't put the garbage down there. Uh, you need to take it downstairs and put it in the big big bins downstairs. I thought, well, that's exactly what we did. And then Marie said, yeah, but you left that one bag of clothes out there, didn't you? And I said, oh, oh my God, I ran out. It was gone. I ran downstairs. The garbage truck's already oh, been. No. And I just stood there in the street and I just went, I didn't even say you're fucking kidding me this time. I just looked and I said, I obviously didn't need those clothes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And in my mind I was like, oh, a little heart attachment to those para that Paralympic gear. There was some good shirts in there. I obviously didn't need them. I went back upstairs and I said to Marie, I obviously didn't need those clothes, babe, they're gone. <laughs> Had a little laugh. Oh, my goodness. So in answer to your question, sometimes the tools work. Like there's some little mindset shifts and um, that's the whole thing about developing a tool belt and I'm happy to talk about what these tools can be and, and obviously tell you some more stories about how it has worked for me and others and how it hasn't. But just a little uh, context of, you know, every day we're given these opportunities to either, um, you know, change our perspective to to – sorry, to not change our perspective and be the victim to circumstances and be reactive and be frustrated and be stuck in these disempowering emotional conditions mm. or we have the opportunity to really change the way we see things mm. and uh, and shift from that and it's okay to feel that anger, it's okay to feel that frustration, it's okay to be sad and upset at times mm. but it's not okay to operate from those and then to take that energy into other people like my gorgeous wife and uh, my kids or my clients or family members. Yeah. Yeah, the big it's okay. It's it's you know it's one of my favorite thing. It's okay. It's okay to have that. But the emotional agility is it's not okay to operate from it. Mm. It's okay that you feel it. It's not okay you operate from it. It's just well, the whole time it was reminding me when you were saying those things. Obviously, I could see almost see you every time something would happen, having to take having to be reminded of what Viktor Frankl said, having to go. Hang on, there's a little space here, and if I operate straight away. I'm not using my tool belt, but if I give it a few seconds, maybe my tool belt will get engaged here and I'll operate correctly. Stop and breathe. Stop Pause, and breathe, notice, reflect. Like just that 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 moment to breathe that expands that space. So that space between stimulus and response that you're talking about and that's where that reaction can come from or we can stop and breathe and expand that space between stimulus and response and then we get we always get to choose our response. Yeah. And I often react 
Uh, and and then I might not necessarily regret, but I'll come back and assess it and then think why that happened and, and assess the whole situation of what it is. But the anchoring point comes back to, uh, and, you know, sometimes that reaction is a cry, sometimes it's an angry reaction, sometimes it's frustration, sometimes I'll even punch my hands when I'm on my own and just be like, Gah! and just get it out there. Okay, cool. Now, now how am I going to tackle this response? Yeah. And it all comes back to the when you've got time to actually reflect on it, like the who am I? Yeah. Not what is this situation and how is it affecting me? Who am I at my core and how am I going to run through this situation from that space? Mm. That That's going to take me down this path here of you know what I'm going to say. So, you know, I, I recently heard you on another Legends podcast and he asked you that question. I thought, this guy's been listening to my podcast because that's my favourite question. And I remember when I first started talking to you about that, you said to me, it's a tough question to, to answer for anybody. And I'll tell you what, we've had some pretty incredible responses uh, here so far and people really struggling with their identity. So I'm going to ask you, who's Brett and what's your core belief? I get to choose who I am and who I choose to be is an optimistic lover of life and I'm addicted to gratitude. There you go. And expanding on that is uh, – well, actually, let me answer your question around my core belief. I don't have one core belief. Uh, the the thoughts around beliefs are very dynamic. Uh, but once again, what I've been what I've come to really realise in recent times is that uh, belief is an adaptable, malleable choice. Because some of my core beliefs when I was young, when I was younger, in my early twenties. Can I just jump? On please that? do. I want you to explain before we go too much further because we, we kind of, we've got to come back to this, some of your beliefs when you were younger, but I want you to really explain adaptable and malleable belief to everyone. <clears throat> Just thinking about the listener, like, because I know that people get set, you know, and a lot of a lot of different beliefs have set in their belief and they're set that this is the way it is and this is there can't be anything else and whatever you believe, I'm not going to listen to you because that's just not what I believe and I've been brought up like this and it's my belief and fuck you, I'm not going to listen. But what you just said then would be a game changer for people like that who can see the love and the compassion and the optimistic love of life you are. And when you say that, like I want you to really explain that for us. Let me ask you, let me answer it through a question. So yeah, perfect coach. Yeah, people. <laughs> there's no such. Oh, my grandfather used to say there's no such thing as perfect, but he didn't meet his beautiful uh, great grandchildren. So <laughs> I challenge him on that. Uh, the the question is, you've been in faith based communities pretty much your whole life. Have you seen people come in and start believing in faith that had a strong belief against faith before they came into it? Did they not believe in faith before they had changed their faith-based beliefs? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, many, many, many people. So that's that's people. And the other way. And the other way. So, so you've you know people that have been in faith-based communities and believed that this is this is the absolute truth and this is the only way, and then they've changed their belief. They've gone complete atheism. Okay, so that's malleability mm. of belief systems. But what happens is we we tend to pick up these belief systems from society or parents uh, from watching TV and all of this stuff and we just pick it up and we download all of this information and we don't realise that we're building belief systems around that of our identity, of the way things should be, of faith, of community, of nutrition, of mind, of everything. 
And so then people just become this version of themselves without understanding why. And so then they might be challenged against a belief. And I saw it happen globally throughout the pandemic a lot. Like there's this massive disconnect between a lot of different things. And what became really evident is that there can be two truths at the same time. Mm. And we knew that, but they're, they're well. I would say three. Well, I was going to say at least two. Yeah. <laughs> so the the explanation to it is that uh, if you believe something and you believe it to be the absolute truth about you or about your circumstances or about the world, and you aren't willing to explore or be challenged on that, then you're setting yourself up for some bigger challenges. Yeah. Because. I'm not saying that everyone has to change their belief systems, but you have to be willing to be open-minded to understand that what you are led to believe might not be the only way you have to think and feel and act. Yeah. And that would lead people to judgment. That would lead people to shun connection. That would lead people to a lot of opinion, which, you know, like opinion's good. Everyone, everyone's got an opinion, but I don't really like opinion myself i'd rather perspective than opinion but um with with what you're explaining like if i have a very strong faith belief but i know that my faith belief can increase and can deepen if i'm curious and then i can learn more about my faith belief from someone like yourself than sometimes somebody else in the faith belief because i i it's my simple philosophy or view is that people will they've got a belief and that's it they don't deepen that belief they don't go after what what could be deepened like a lot of people in the in the christian world let's say christian world for instance because that's what i know um they don't believe in meditation they think it's not right they think it's evil they think it's wrong but without actually having it properly explained to them and i remember this little picture you sent me uh and i, I loved it because it's so true is is like prayer is when we're talking to god but meditation is when God's talking to us. And so like meditation has been a woo-woo for or a no-go for a lot of Christian people until recently, until the whole holistic health, emotional agility, emotional health has come out in the last probably five years that it's probably more needed in, in that world than anywhere else. But for me, the curiosity, if the curiosity is not there for me, my faith won't deepen. And so I use that for that. But you're – you're explaining on the malleable belief is great. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so you went there with uh, your core belief and your core beliefs malleable and stuff like that. So I want to go back to how much of your – like because something else that you said in there uh, was like people adopt their beliefs from what they watch on television or what they see or in their families and stuff. And I have a simple understanding that my identity is not where I, what I grew up in. My identity is not – and I know that this might be uh, probably a little bit conflictual, but it's not even the colour of my skin. It's not anything to do with anything like that. My identity is anchored in who I am way before I see a cultural identity. So I call them a cultural identity. So how much did culture have a spin on your identity and, and you're, you're an optimistic lover of life and that's who you say you are, but how much does culture impressed on that? For every human being, culture is going to form part of your identity. And so culture for me was growing up in Cobar until I was almost 18 years old. But what happened was I would be traveling away so often for sporting events, for athletics and football. 
And so I was immersed in many different cultures and many different environments and communicating with many different people and being forced to communicate myself with many different types of people. So when I think about how much culture has affect, uh, like impacted me and, and helped shape my identity and my beliefs, I realised that it's, it's, it's not just about um, where I grew up and my parenting and what I – like it's, it's a lot about what I was exposed to from other people. So I think also where you're kind of getting at with all of this is uh, that understanding of, you know, environment doesn't necessarily have to dictate who we are. No. And the, this is a really powerful thing of the work – and I know you talk about a lot as well – and we've done it. We've done it together. Is that like identifying who you truly are, what your, uh, you know, my personal philosophy, one of them is every day is an opportunity to love deeply, impact significantly, embody wisdom and have fucking fun. Mm. And when I anchor from that and when all this shit hits the fan like it is at the moment, like I'm in one of those weird little bubbles, if I come back to that and I realise, okay, what does that mean to me? That's who I am. So that's how I'll operate throughout this because like that phone call that I talked about the other day in different circumstances you know at the end of those phone calls when I'm not so triggered I'll be saying and they say is there anything else I can help you with today and I always say to people yeah if you could tell me what you're most grateful for that would be amazing and so that's when I know that I'm a little bit um out of alignment or I need to go back and do the deeper work because that doesn't come out of my mouth in those conversations I finish the call a little bit disheartened and frustrated and disappointed so back to that is Environment is only one piece of the puzzle that is going to create, uh, sorry, that can have influence on who you really are. Mm -hmm. And then the real challenge is making sure that once you know, so your beliefs, your values, um, getting to choose different purposes in life and living in alignment with those, and then uh, looking at your, your environment as well, that you get to take that with you everywhere you go. I want to share something with you because I know that this topic is this series is around resilience um, and we're kind of touching on identity here which was past but they they do overlap yes let me talk about the environment part here from an experience I was asked to go and uh, do a day's work with a juvenile detention center in New South Wales years ago and they wanted me to talk about mindset and so I put together some stuff and I told them stories about the Paralympic athletes that I'd worked with and some other people that have had challenge after challenge and, you know, being able-bodied athletes and then become confined to a wheelchair and paraplegics or quadriplegics and share my friends who have lost their limbs and almost lost their lives. And, you know, they've used that adversity to their advantage and they shift out of that victim mentality. And instead of saying, poor me, I can't do anything now, they say, right, life's fucking tough. This is, this is a big blow, but who am I now? And what am I going to do about it? How am I going to utilize this and, and shift through that? And doing some talks and it was really good. But one of the things at the end of the day that kind of deflated me was these guys put on some really good programs, like to actually get someone in and talk about, you know, resilience and mindset to these juvenile kids in detention center. They said that 97% of the kids that are released will re-offend and end up back in there or back in prison, 97%. And so I asked them why, like, why do you believe that that's the case? And they said, well, these kids, when, when they grad, like when they leave here, they are different humans. Mm. They, their identity has changed because they're not surrounded by everything. 
And so identity is kind of the piece, the top piece of the pyramid. You need to start with that. So these guys do a really good job of helping these kids change their identity. I'm not a criminal. I'm not useless. I'm not that person that doesn't have a future in here. I'm um, I'm another boy or man. I have because it was a boys only one that I went into. You know, I'm a I'm a human being. I have value. I have uh, or, and values to like, I have value to give to the world and they develop all of this within them. And they change their identity. They get released and this organization, the, the detention center don't have any say in where they go. So they go back to their environment and most of them go into an environment where everyone else is reoffending mm. and everyone else is doing some bad shit. Mm. And so these kids go back in and they lose their identity really quick because they don't know how to maintain it. Yeah. So environment can impact, but it doesn't have to dictate. Yeah. That, that is such a great answer, Robert, because um, do, like they were, I was thinking through that then when you were saying about the environment. Do you believe, like you said the word change, their identity. Um, do you think it's change or do you think it's rediscover? Tell me why you think those two things are different. Uh, the reason I think those two things are different is because um, that – Change would indicate that you've never been there. Rediscover would would indicate that maybe between zero and eight you may have. Maybe between zero and eight you didn't know what was bad or what was good or maybe you were just a, a joyous person, maybe even younger than that, maybe up to four or five. Um, you, you, weren't impressed, you weren't impressed so much by the environment at that point but then the environment changed your trajectory changed your identity and then that process started happening. The only reason I say that is because that's what happened to me. I'll actually challenge you on that because what I know about the human brain and the kid's <laughs> development is for the first five to seven years of their life, all they do is download. And the only way they can download is from their environment. So if my kids see me be angry, they'll be angry. Yeah. They, they develop anger from that uh, or the people around them. If, if our kids see us uh, being calm and meditating often and just sitting in calmness and stillness, then they will download that and they'll know that that's, that, that becomes part of their attributes for that five to seven years. So there's that development that comes from environment without their choice. So I get what you're saying and what I would say is it's a bit of both. It's a rediscover and it's a change. Oh, cool. It's, it's rediscovering um, who they truly are but with guidance because they probably haven't had that guidance in that situation. And then it's changing because they have created an identity that, that needs to change because it's destructive yeah. to them and to other people and the environment and everything else. Yeah, right. So the, the identity piece is massive, isn't it, really? Because I know we're talking about resilience, but without first understanding your identity, you can't really do that second shift. And so much is said about, well, I am, and that's an identity. I am this. I am fat or I am unhealthy or I am a smoker or I am an alcoholic or I am, I am, I am, I am and in society. So those kids have had a lot of dump. I am, I am a criminal. I am going to jail. I am worthless. I am useless. I am this. So that identifies with them. And I love this little piece from Peter Crone. He's, he was explaining about the identity when he says, no, you're not a smoker. You're a human being that has a preference to cigarettes. And it disassociates your identity from your habit and our habits can not – and I think that's where there's been a big shift in, in some people. So, 
Yeah. Well, that's the when you ask me who I am, I am an optimistic lover of life. Yeah. I am addicted to gratitude yeah. because what I know about the subconscious mind is it doesn't know the the difference between reality and fantasy. So whatever you feed it. So if I say I am useless, I am uh, frustrated, I am um, you know un unworthy in this world, then the subconscious mind is going to believe that and then therefore your actions will play out in that way. So that's why the, this understanding of who you are but also getting to choose like yeah. who you are and who you want to be yeah. because no one told me that I'm an optimistic lover of life. No one told me to be addicted to gratitude. They were my choices. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> are you going to say something else? I, w- I was going to talk about how the identity has made me more resilient or like how that kind of overlaps mm. in, in a pretty um, deep kind of story. But no. should we go there? No, please do. So this, you know, I've always said that I'm an optimistic, or not always, but for a lot of years I've said that I'm an optimistic lover of life. And I've just been joyous and loving life and um, and just seen like my perspective of the world is it's so expansive. You know, I started, I travelled overseas when I was 14 to compete and I travelled all around the country all the time you know, as an athlete and just like the world is your oyster kind of thing that's kind of a little bit sheltered. But at that time I was like, yeah, it really is. Like this is amazing. Uh, and in in growing up in Cobar, my uh, grandfather, so I went away to boarding school. For In year seven I got citizen of the year and in year eight I got asked to leave after my fifth suspension. <laughs> <laughs> so... Being a boy, like a <laughs> that's just, a shift, though. Citizen of the year to one year. It's yeah. like reminds me of Collingwood going from wooden spurs to almost <laughs> premiership. Well, was it? Uh, I had to bring that up. <laughs> <laughs> mate, I'm a Swan supporter. Yeah, I didn't I see know. Collingwood in yeah. the grand final one, this year. One but. point, one point, mate, one point. <laughs> yes, one point. And we were coming for you. Anyway. Not, that, not that we turned up this year, but we, we were there. <laughs> uh, yeah. So, you know, this this optimistic lover of life, and then got into. Um, got into a bit of trouble when I was younger and got asked to leave and, uh, and went back to Cobar and I was just in that early kind of teenage years of um, easily influenced and partying and uh, luckily for me there was no drugs around. Well, I didn't know about them until I was 21. So I wasn't exposed to any – what I hear these days about teenagers, there's a lot around, but just partying, lots of drinking from the age of kind of 14 onwards at yeah, that age. Wow. Still doing lots of sport but lots of drinking. And Cobar is this amazing community and it also has this um, culture of drinking and like for the guys, you play footy, work, drink, play footy, work, drink. Yeah. I loved playing footy. I didn't love working at that stage yet but I also loved drinking. <laughs> so my grandfather could obviously see that I would probably go down that path if he didn't come into the picture and say, you know, you've got talent as a sprinter here. There's no sprinter coaches out here in Outback, you know, in Cobar and Outback New South Wales and if I don't, support you now, then um, maybe you'll end up down a different path. Mm. So he just started coaching me from zero. He knew nothing about it and he learned and I think it was internet back then but he didn't use it, he didn't know how to use it and he's finding all these old school books and wrote me gym programs and he's literally in his shed. And um, so he took me on board and for years he took me around the country and we'd drive from Cobar to Adelaide's 12 hours, Cobar to Brisbane's 12 hours, Cobar to Sydney's 8 or 9 hours, you know, always in the car and travelling um, and my parents supported me a lot as well, but they were obviously working at different capacities. And so my grandfather became this shining light and this uh, real like mentor of mine as well as my coach. Uh, and he and my grandmother happily married for, for 53 years and they taught me what love and respect is. My parents split up when I was three 
and they stayed good friends and they loved us dearly as kids, but they didn't have romantic love. So I didn't learn that from them. I learned that from the generation above through my grandparents and happily married for 53 years, always wow. cuddling and kissing. And my grandfather used to call my grandmother sexy legs yeah, in front yeah. of us. And, you know, sometimes he'd put his arm around me and say, Bretto, check out your grandmother. Isn't she sexy? <laughs> like, oh, that's disgusting. And, you know, they're just beautiful souls and, um, and just taught me a lot. Like they really displayed their, their love through affection. And then, they were big community members, Cobar's five and a half thousand people. They were in different charities and running organisations and uh, really uh, big community members and really known well in the community. They also taught me, taught me a lot about entrepreneurship and business because they owned a lot of businesses. And so I saw the, what they did and my grandmother used to sit down with me sometimes and she taught me how to do the, the really basics of accounting right from the beginning when I first started my own massage business as a wow. sole trader. So they really, they taught me a lot and they were young grandparents and I did the city to surf with them one year. We used to party together a little bit when I got older. They didn't, not when I was underage drinking, but when I was 18 and beyond. And, um, you know, we traveled together. I lived with them a lot when we were kids. So they were really massively influential in my life and they taught me a lot. They taught me a lot of values and they helped shape my identity and beliefs mm. in that kind of way with their influence and especially my grandfather who sat there by my side and um, just – you know, his mannerisms and his ways. And I watched the way that he engaged with people from all around the country when we would do these trips. And he was good mates with everyone. Just he would talk to everyone and just had that way. And don't get me wrong, my parents are the same, but uh, my grandparents had just this different level of influence, which I know you're now a grandfather. And there's a great saying, Dr. Arna Rubenstein told me, he said, grandparents and kids have a common enemy. (laughs) No, sorry. Grandparents and the grandkids yeah. have a common enemy. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so obviously it's the, the, parent. the parent in between, right? <laughs> or the child. <laughs> <laughs> so your child, but the, the, the grandchild's parents. Hear that, Mia? Mia's our producer and she's going to have kids and she, they will be my grandchildren. So you'll be my enemy. <laughs> <laughs> Enemies no. can be allies too. That's right. That's right. <laughs> anyway, so my grandparents, massively influential. And um, I was in America in 2014 and I was at the World Athletic Centre because one thing that I learned early on through my grandfa- my grandfather's influence, he used to tell me a lot of stories and I used to, in the end, I was sort of saying to him um, through my last years of coaching with him, I'd say to him, tell me another story. I want to learn some lessons. Like if I can learn from your, I used to call him a hundred year old, your hundred years of wisdom and I don't have to make those same mistakes, then I fight, like I, I'll get so much more out of yeah. life. And he would tell me all these stories. Obviously, I didn't listen to all of them because a lot of them were don't do underage drinking, don't go and do this, don't go and do that. And I was still doing that stupid stuff as you do, also as some people do. Uh, and so the the influence of my grandparents and I was oh, – sorry, that's what I was saying. In 2014, I was in America. One thing that I learned about elders is that I, I just had this early realisation in my life and in my career that if you suss out – people who are the best in their field or, you know, close to the best and you can learn directly from them and not just learn about it, but then know how to actually implement it in your life, then that's how you're going to escalate your, your betterment, like be the best version of yourself, bringing skills and understanding other people's values and beliefs that are really doing really well in life in different areas. So when I got into coaching and Paralympic in the Paralympic world, I found this coach that was based in America, Dan Paff, and he coached lots of able-bodied athletes and started getting into Paralympic athletes and I'd never heard of him beforehand but I just sussed out where he was and he was based at this World Athletic Centre and they would just started these internship programs so I applied for it and I got it. I, I was employed by Athletics Australia at the time and I said 
this is what I'd like to do. And they said, well, we're not going to support you for that. It's like, all right, I'm going to pay for everything myself. I'm going to oh. take unpaid leave. And I did. And it cost me, you know, quite a lot of money to go over there. And I stayed, lived over there for, uh, it was supposed to be a couple of months, but it was cut short. But, you know, just investing into that it was a no brainer for me because, and I said to them, you realize when I come back, everything that I'm going to learn is going to be implemented into the athletes that I'm coaching for Athletics Australia. Mm. And yeah, yeah, we get that, but we're not going to support it. Okay. Is what it is. So I went and did that and uh, my gorgeous wife now, a partner at the time, she was training to try and qualify for the Olympics. She came with me and she was training at the World Athletic Centre. And one day we were five or six weeks into it and I got this phone call in the morning because I woke up and I had a heap of missed calls from back uh, from my family and my brother was based in Canada and it was on the time zone because I thought, oh, mum would be asleep but she's been trying to call me. And I called him and he said, "Um, bro, are you sitting down? I said, no, I'm not sitting down. He said, sit down. I said, what are you talking about? Just tell me. And he said, just sit down. I want to tell you something. I just sat on the bed and I said, tell me what's going on. And he said, they're dead. Our grandparents, they're dead. He shot them. Scott shot them. Scott was their son. Uh, my uncle. And I said, are you fucking sure? Like, don't shit me. Is this the truth? And he said, yep. This is what's going on. They're dead. He shot them. So in that instant and and as like it just rocked me and I after – I can't even remember the phone call and just bursting into tears obviously but, you know, this – I was an optimistic lover of life and in that moment, in that one moment, everything just changed like that. I could not control anything. It didn't matter – who I was and how well I was looking after myself and didn't matter what my personal philosophies and my beliefs and my values were. This situation was out of my control and it rocked me in a way that I didn't even know was possible. And so after that period of time, you know, it took me on an emotional journey that I didn't know could exist and I experienced some really deep and dark times. And, you know, I speak for myself, but can you imagine for my mum who worked for them for every day for many, 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 many years and lived in the same sort of town and she was really close to her parents and it was her brother that had killed her parents. And then the community, because they're massive community members, you know, there's two and a half thousand people at their funeral. And then my siblings had the same relationship and then our cousins had the same relationship with them and then their friends that they were really close with. So just the ripple effect of how many people were impacted by this. But for me, it just, it just, it t- took me into a place I didn't even know could exist, this deep darkness of feeling useless and feeling uh, lost but also massive amounts of anger and resentment towards my uncle mm. who had just murdered my Na- grandparents. Naturally understandable. Yeah. And, you know, this – I would go through these fluctuations and, you know, there's a lot of detail that we could go into but essentially in this – you know, through this period, what, what I experienced there, I actually felt quite useless and didn't know what to do about it. And I would have moments of time and we'd be happy and laughing together weeks later or days later and, and then it would just drop again. And mum was, you know, just on edge and everyone around was just up and down, up and down. The vicissitudes, it was just playing out in real time. Weeks later, it might have even been a bit about a month later, I finally sat down with a psychologist uh, at the Australian Institute of Sport and she knew the story. So I was just kind of talking her through it again and, you know, had my hands down and telling her how close I was with them and, 
how much it had impacted me and how I felt and this deep darkness and lost and heart-wrenching sadness and everything like that. And she said, Robbo, it sounds like a part of your life has ended. And I said, yeah, Kate, like, yep, it actually feels that way. Like part of my life has ended. I said, I've actually never lost anyone close to me before like this. And she said, you know, Robbo, you're going to be more of a whole person after going through this experience. And I remember sitting there with my head in my hands and just crying, like not not loudly but just tears rolling down my face and I thought about what she said, going to be more of a whole person. And I got it. In that moment I thought it, it hit me and I kind of looked up slowly. I looked her in the eyes and I, I put this massive smile on my face with just tears rolling down my face and I said, Kate, that is the best thing you could have ever said to me mm. because every day – I think about how can I be a bit better version of myself so I can support others around me and teach others how to be better versions of themselves, whether it's my athletes or my partner or family or community, whoever it is. So if I have to think about this most fucked up situation in the world in that way, then that's exactly how I'm going to think about it. And so in that moment, it gave me a glimpse of a mindset shift. And so from that, I took this and I thought to myself, what am I going to do with this opportunity to think about this differently? How am I actually going to action this in my life? Because that was a mindset shift, but it doesn't mean that everything was all glorious after that. And I would still have my moments of, you know, lots of anger and lots and lots of sadness and lots of resentment. And I decided that after a period of time that, you know what I'm going to do with that? Is I started to learn more about emotional agility at this stage and I realized that me being angry and me being resentful, who am I around my partner then? I'm not angry and resentful at her, but I'm not bringing my best to her. How are my athletes receiving me as a person? That's not who I am. That's this energy that I'm taking with me. I'm not angry and resentful at them, but I'm just not my best. What about my family that need amazing support as well? And they don't expect me to be their only support, but that's who I want to be. I can't do that from a place of anger and resentment and lost. So I need to you know, work through this. And I realized that okay, the opposite to being resentful is being grateful. The opposite to being angry is not the opposite, but, you know, a different state is being happy and present. And so I started to choose gratitude over resentment and I started to just say, I'm so grateful for the relationship that I have with my grandparents. I'm so grateful for the influence they had in my life. I'm so grateful for the people that they were in the community. So grateful and just expressing gratitude. And, you know, I I saw the, the psychologist a couple of times and, I slowly got back into coaching and because one thing became really evident to me, I, was, I realized that I'm there with people, but I'm not there. I wasn't present. Mm. And as I started to become more present and realizing, you know, I'm starting to come back to this optimistic lover of life and I'm starting to feel grateful and not just say that I'm grateful. I'm starting to feel less of the anger and resentment and feel more of the gratitude. And I'd still get tapped into that side and lots of sadness, but it hit me one day, I was out in coaching the athletes and I was, in my mind I was using different techniques with them as I would express to them. They didn't know what techniques I was using that I'd learned as a coach and then it hit me and I realised, oh shit, my psychologist is using techniques with me and it's working. I want to know what they are. So as soon as I finished that coaching session, I jumped on the phone and I said, Kate, I just realised you've been using some techniques with me and it's bloody working because I'm feeling great again. What are these techniques? Like what is it? And she laughed and she said, well, it's mostly called acceptance and commitment therapy. Mm. 
And I said, awesome. Who wrote the books? Who, like, how do I learn more about it? I want to study this. I want to know more about it. And she laughed and she said, look, I think you're ready, Robbo. So start with the book called The Happiness Trap by Dr. Russ Harris. Mm. And, uh, and, and go from there. I said, cool, I'm going to devour that. I'm going to do the courses. I'm going to learn acceptance and commitment therapy because I want to teach others because this is amazing. This is really working for me. So I ordered that book and I remember sitting down for the first time and got really excited to read this book, Acceptance and Commitment Therapy. This is awesome. These are the techniques that's been working for me. And I started to read it and not long into it, here I was in my two small two-bedroom apartment on my own. I think my wife was traveling the world competing at that time and I'm just bawling my eyes out reading this book because acceptance and commitment therapy is about kind of revisiting yeah. and accepting circumstances and accepting emotions and you know, moving through instead of avoiding them. And so I had to then question myself, was I avoiding things by being grateful? And I learned that I wasn't, but it's really going into it and accepting it. So here I was super excited and it just took, like, took me back into this space. But after crying and then flicking through some pages, I got through that book really quickly and I did the exercises in there. And after that book, I realized, right, now I get it. Now I understand what it's like to move through a grieving period uh, from this greater understanding of how we operate as human beings. Mm. Now I understand where my resilience is my choice. Yeah. Because, and I know you said this on, on this first episode, that resilience is the ability to bounce back to normal. And so uh, I didn't know that at that time, that, that the emotional resilience is that capacity. But what I realized was that to be resilient is to be my optimistic lover of life. To be resilient is for me to show up as the best version of myself. To be resilient is to feel those feelings of anger and resentment and sadness but not allow them to rule my life anymore. That's right. And through those periods, that's when I realised and I started getting addicted to learning about human behaviour and the mind and neuro-linguistic programming and just did everything that I could. I just studied that and I would implement little bits of it with the athletes but you have to be careful with athletes with some of the stuff too but a lot around the mindsets and everything and – you know, it took me – and that's why I'm here today is because I just had this this hunger for – and you and I talked about it when I had your you on the podcast – this insatiable thirst and hunger to learn and I learned, learned, learned and was able to implement into my life and to other people's lives. Yeah. And I just saw that doing the work is what was required. I was coaching Paralympic athletes, right, and they taught me a lot about resilience because – there is a lot of people with a disability worse than some of the people that become Paralympians and Paralympic champions that do not get active and do not move. And I say this without judgment. It's just reality that they become victims of their circumstances. I was a victim to my circumstance. Yeah, yeah. You know, I get it. I say it from being a victim and I say it without judgment to everyone. We all fall in – we can fall into victim mentality. But the guys who – people who choose to not stay in victim mentality and to look at things differently, to accept their circumstances and say, right, I don't have any legs anymore. Mm. And, you know, I've got friends that have lost their legs and almost lost their lives. I don't have any legs anymore. And the doctors say, sorry, you're not going to run again. I know you were training for marathons. Um, You probably, you won't even actually walk again because of your disability. And they say, oh, I'll walk again and I'll run again, you know, and that's their mentality and they move through that. There's a real difference between people who stay in victim mentality and people who accept their circumstances and then choose to not be stuck in the past and say, well, this is all the things I can't do now. What's the point? And they say, well, here's all the things that I can do now. Let's fucking do this. Yeah, mate, thank you. That was ridiculous, really. And... Like I, before we get before I dig right into that because I've got so much in that I want to talk to you about, and I'm not going to be conscious of time because there's so no, well I will but. go for it. Um, how are you now with your grandparents? 
I chose to anchor every day. I chose that, you know, I said to, I got, I started working with a coach not long after this and I said, I'm going to leave their, no, I'm going to, yeah, I'm going to um, leave their legacy. And he said, don't leave your, their legacy, Robbo, leave your own legacy. Beautiful. And he said, what about if you enhance and optimize your grandparents' legacy by yeah. living your best life? Yeah. And I said, oh, that's what I needed to hear. Great. This is why everyone needs a coach, right? This yeah. different perspective. I said, cool. And from that day onwards, every single day, either at the end of a meditation or just in passing in my mind, I am enhancing and optimizing my grandparents' legacy. Yeah. And I get to choose what that means to me. I don't expect any of my other family members or community members to do the same. This is what's worked for me. Mm. And so that enhancing and optimizing their legacy through love. I fell madly in love with my wife before they were killed, but it just reminds me that love, like, it, you know, I sit down to journal sometimes and I have no agenda. And often what comes out is love first, love always, love wins. Yeah. Oh, cool, journaling done. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> if I just go by that, <laughs> I'll often journal a little bit more, but love first, love always, love wins. Yeah. Love for self and love for others and that romantic love and with my wife and, you know, she loves being kissed on the neck and I love kissing her on the neck. Yeah. And we love that, just that deep connection and, uh, you know, so this, I, I can go into that side. I was going to get carried away with my, my romantic relationship with yeah, my wife. We'll, but we'll, we'll leave that. Because, we'll, you know, there's three types of love, eros, philia and agape. That's the eros. We'll leave that right where it is. <laughs> Might be another episode. Yeah. <laughs> but your question, how are you today with your grandparents, is I'm deeply connected. I am enhancing and optimizing their legacy in the way that I believe. So not just through love but through community and that's why I started the podcast. Yeah. My own podcast was to enhance and optimize their legacy through impacting the lives of hundreds of thousands of people. Mm. You know, I family is a big value and I've got my own family now. And yeah. so how am I with my grandparents? I'm, I can't say that I'm deeply deeper connected than ever before because that's a lie. Like their presence was a deeper connection but I'm deeply connected to them. Yeah. Does there ever waves – of grief. Yes. Yep. So we are coming up to eight years. Wow. Next in, in just over a month's time, eight years since they were killed. And I remember one thing that my mentor, one of my mentor coaches said to me in this initial period, she called me and she just said, she was a Ukrainian. She said like this, Bretti, I cannot say anything. Just know that I am here. She said, time is the only medicine and you get to choose what you do with this time. And that time factor, it was true because for a long period of time, it didn't feel like things were getting better. It was that as vicissitudes. But over time, I can't say that it gets easy. You just get it less. Yeah. So the waves come and yes, I get hit. wasn't so long ago uh, we experienced some grief again and my wife's younger brother was actually found dead in his apartment like not, not very long ago at all. And um, I fell to the ground crying when I found that out because my heart went out to his parents because they – I just – I knew that that grief that they were experiencing right now and that they're going to experience and then it came a wave for me. So the, the waves get triggered by different things. Yeah. How do you feel about Scott? Scott is your uncle. Yeah. Or was your uncle, sorry. Um. I don't feel, I don't feel, uh, I actually don't think about that anymore. For six years or five, 
years, we were dragged through court cases. Yeah. It was ugly. Yeah. He was on the wheel with my mum. They were the only siblings. Why was he deserving of it? So mum was kind of fighting that, not to say, I want all the money, but to say, why should a murderer get that? And the justice system isn't justice. No. Um, it's, you know, he was entitled to that. So, uh, and then mum went through years of fighting the law because the law said that um, he got diagnosed with a mental illness, right? Uh, and and we knew that, but it had been misdiagnosed his whole life and it just got too late. So through the court cases, they diagnosed him with paranoid schizophrenia. And, you know, our, it was like, cool. No, not cool, but yeah, obviously, why wasn't that diagnosed many years ago before he was had done this? And, you know, so we've experienced a lot of that just being dragged through the shit with that and right up until the last day when the shit decision was made and mum had to pay all these court fees from my grandparents' money, like she thought she was doing the right thing to take this as far as possible to fight this and fight this law change because the law said that uh, not guilty of murder because of mental illness. And what she wanted to fight was uh, guilty of murder with a mental illness. Yeah. And, you know, because it said not guilty, that's why he was entitled to everything. If he was guilty, that drops it. So, you know, mental illness is um, at all different levels and I know that you, you talk about this a lot, but, you know, at this level and, you know, one of the things that happened afterwards when they asked After he did it, he drove to the pub and sat at the bar and had a beer. And he told the publican and he said, I think I fucked up this time. He said, what would you do? And he told him. And the publican walked around the corner and called the cops. And they asked him about it and they said, you know, and throughout all this and, you know, we've seen video footage and asked how you feel about that. And he said, I feel free. Um, He thought he did the right thing. He admitted to it and he feels free. He thought he did the right thing. To one and only person in the world of his mental illness, they were the enemy. They housed him. They looked after him. They saved his life multiple times when he was on drug and alcohol benders. You know, it hit me after a while that it was my grandparents' own love that got them killed in the end. Yeah. No one else wanted him around. But my grandpa- my mother, my grandmother felt like a failure. So... Uh, I remember one Christmas we were going back to town and I called my grandmother because he used to come to Christmases and things like that. And um, I called my grandmother and I said, Scott's not welcome at Christmas this year. And she started crying her eyes out and she said, Brett, if his own mother can't love him, then who can? And my heart sunk. And I realised that all of his failures, she believed were her failures. Her beliefs were his identity creates her identity. His failures are her failures. I'm a parent now and I get that and I, I understand that but it, it just hit me really hard. Uh, so back to the answer to your question, I don't feel and um, what I did hope was that justice would prevail and that he would be punished for what he did. Like I, I don't think human beings need to be necessarily punished for a lot. I believe everyone has a second chance but this was his hundred and second chance. When you know that he's a background and everything like that, so uh, the really shit thing is that he's every six months they go through the mental health tribunal and there's a high chance that he'll be released. Like murderers get released quite regularly in Australia. I think that would um, shock a lot of people. Yeah. And so mum's trying, been fighting this law, and it became her purpose, right, to fight this law. 
and she just keeps coming up against battle after battle. It will not change our case. It will not bring her parents back. But she doesn't want people to experience what we've experienced. Mm. because it, And it happened not long after that with um, a guy who the, – the, there was a coach of an AFL team, I think in Adelaide, and his son had murdered, murdered him. Yeah. And same thing, mental illness. Yeah, I was only just reading about that in Eddie Betts' book. Yeah, so, you know, and like I said, it doesn't change our circumstances but mum – really found purpose in this to to try and fight it to to help other people because it's not right. Yeah. It's not the just it's not the purpose that you want because it's not the catalyst that you want to cause a purpose. Yeah, exactly. It's not the catalyst what you want, but we often don't get to choose our catalyst. No, we get to choose our no. purpose, but we yeah. don't get to choose it. And you know that I'm a big yeah. sayer of people don't don't wait for the tsunami in your life before you choose passion yeah. and purpose and yeah. create a mission in this life. Don't wait for that tsunami because yeah. it'll come yeah. and multiple will probably come. Yeah. Like tap into yourself and find out what really drives you. Like choose your passion, choose your purpose and prepare yourself with all of these tools and strategies in your tool belt yeah. that when the tsunami comes, you can ride that wave like what I had to do and what lots of people have to do, ride that wave so it doesn't beat you mm. and that you become more resilient from that and then you help more people. Because yeah. one thing that I know for sure is that it doesn't matter who we are and how much work we do. That was one of my biggest learning curve was no one is immune to adversities and challenges. No, no. You know, I remember uh, one morning on the sand, <laughs> we'll go there, and I was we were, we were just chatting about, you know, like motivation, you know. And like, I, I would say, look, I'm not – naturally an athlete. I would have loved to have been an athlete. I loved sport when I was a kid. I played soccer. But because of my my parents' um, uh, roles and uh, requirements, we didn't get an opportunity to do that. And anyway, I always believed, well, if I was in my culture, then I would have done it. And I look at you and I'd say about motivation and you said to me one day, you said that the athletes that you train would say to you, don't wait for the motivation to train. And I recently listened to um, uh, Mel Robbins calls motivation bullshit. You know, she says there's no such thing. Don't wait for it because you're not going to change. Like you just said then, like if you if you are waiting for a bomb to land on you to be motivated or you're waiting for someone to come along you and give you the golden scepter, pat on the back, hey, you're good enough, you can do it, then that's bullshit. You've got it inside you to make the choice to be motivated after a purpose. And um, I really, really respect your mum and I love the answer that you said. Because we don't have to feel, we don't have to have a feeling about someone. We don't have to, we don't have to get anchored into the anger and the disgusting and the hate and all that and the bitterness. Even though that can be there because of what Scott had done, we don't have to. It's our choice to, but we also don't have to feel like I need to feel about him. You don't have to. It's it's something you don't have to think about. So I really appreciate that answer. Um, and we we're. Uh, so far away from my questions, which is really good. That's why I told you not to share them with me beforehand. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm so glad I didn't. Um, there's, there's back to the whole story that you're sharing. The resilience, like that, I'm talking about. I, 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 I've witnessed this not only in my own life, but I'm not gonna. I'm gonna exclude my experience. Um, and I love what you said about wisdom before. You can learn wisdom from someone. And do it their way or you can learn wisdom through the vicissitudes of life. Which one are you going to choose, you know? And uh, sadly enough, I was way too arrogant not to learn from the people who I should have been standing on their shoulders. I had to learn it all myself. But um, I'm guilty of many of those circumstances <laughs> as well. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, the arrogance soon disappears when you realise you don't have the balls to actually do it <laughs> um, or the efficacy anyway. Um, 
However, the resilience that you've built, um, or let's just put it in this term, the the vicissitude that came, the rock that came, and we had someone on our one of our oh it wasn't he wasn't on our podcast actually we, we were talking about rocks and feathers, and for my life so I'll give it a little bit of experience but I want to talk about those experiences. Um, the rocks that came turned into feathers for me, and so I that's how I terminalize. Sorry, I term re- building resilience for me is so the death. The murder of your grandmother. I'm sorry to be graphic, but I'm. I, I want to make a point on this. The, the, the murder of your grandparents. Do you believe that was a rock that turned into a feather? Do you believe that was a thing that showed you that this was the end of your resilience right now? This is as far as this rubber band can stretch. You need now to come back to a point where we can grow your resilience stronger. Do I now? Yes. Did I then? No. In that moment. Uh, I remember someone had said, you know, everything happens for a reason. And it's like, I don't actually know what you mean by that. Yeah. <laughs> you know? yeah, that so, can be a far stretch for something when someone's just happened like that. And they're like, everything happens for a reason. Really? My fucking grandparents or, or this just happened. Are you going to say that to me right now? That's just like a, you know, fuck you statement, really. Let me tell you through an experience that answer that question. So not long after that when I got addicted to learning about human behavior in the mind and I started doing neuro-linguistic programming and it was me and one of my best mates were being coached by an NLP coach and it's a neuro-linguistic programming. And we came we were talking about the concept that everything in life is a choice. Everything. You get to like everything in your life is your choice and what chooses your perspective. And I just went silent and my mate knew the story and he looked at me and and he so he brought it up and he said, are you thinking about your grandparents? I said, yeah, of course I am. I didn't choose that because he said everything in your life is your choice. So I told him the situation and he said, okay, so you didn't choose for that to happen but what's your choice beyond that? Mm-hmm. How have you chose to respond? And I, was, and I sat back and once again, big smile on my face and I said, I'm really proud. I've chose, chosen to respond in the way coming back to what you've said around your definition of resilience to come back to my foundations of who I am at my best so bouncing back to the quote-unquote normal but expanding from that Mm. because that previous version of me before that circumstance had happened was an optimistic lover of life and had developed resilience in other ways but if I didn't do more work throughout this process on myself and understanding the situation then I'm not more resilient because I've experienced that. I'm just, I'm just more human. Yeah. And as an example, there are people very close to me that experience that same thing that haven't done much work through it mm. that are still significantly beaten by that situation and stuck. And I say this without judgment and it's not because I did this and they didn't do that, but it's an example of – don't wait for the tsunami because it doesn't mean it's going to make you more resilient. It doesn't mean you're going to be impacting more people. It doesn't mean you're going to have a better life on the other side of that tsunami. Not at all. And that's the same people like I talked about with the Paralympians. You know, my friends who have lost their legs and almost lost their lives and you talk to them, would you change things? Would you go back and have two legs or go back and get your your leg back or whatever it might be? And they say, no, life's fucking amazing. I don't want to think about that. Like – I have chosen and I've got a really good life and I've met the love of my life and, you know, I'm a Paralympic champion or Paralympic athlete. They don't have to be a champion, but, you know, they've just made the most of what they have. 
So, and then there's the other people that they would, that haven't chosen that mindset and haven't changed their perspective and haven't chosen to shift out of victim mentality. And by the way, that never happens alone. That's with the, the tribe and the support network. Yeah. And I, once again, I say it without judgment. So, you know, it, it's, it's in answer to your question, I don't remember exactly what the question is, but my answer is it's a choice. Yeah. My, my question was like the rock turning into the feather, the trauma turning into more resilience and coming back to – and you answered it exactly perfectly, really. Um, so let's so, take – Sorry, it. I just want to say then to, to wrap it up now you've repeated that question is, yeah, the answer is that it was – it's a choice. So, yes, the rock has become a feather because I've chosen that. There you go. But that rock, that circumstance is still a rock in some people's lives because they haven't chosen that. I think the language around um, – I think the language around – Everything is your choice needs to change anyway in my, in my perspective of, of what people say. Shit happens. The choice is yours to respond because it does happen. And there's so many unfair things that do happen in life and for us to say, well, th- that's my choice or this is my lot or this is my disaster and I've just got to put up with it and be told everything in life's a choice, I think that's the wrong way of saying it. I think that the better way to say it is, Shit happens in everyone. Suffering's going to happen no matter what. It's your choice how you respond to that suffering and grow from that point. And that's the important part is the growth from the point and it sounds like you've done a lot of growth from there. Let's talk something that's uh, relative right now. When you're talking about no one ever would have ever expected two and a half years ago or three years ago, it was two and a half years ago actually, that this world would have done what it's done. And a lot of people are still uh, haven't taken that as a rock and turned it into a feather. And I'm talking about the whatever you want to call it, the pandemic, plandemic, fuckdemic. I don't care what it is. Like I've once again no judgment, but I just wanted to like bring your story into that perspective because there's still a lot of people who anchor into how bad things have gotten rather than going what's the opportunity in this for me to learn and you know one of the biggest lessons that I ever learned was again in a story that you shared with me from a guy that you had on your podcast and he was at I in Iraq or Afghanistan had his legs blown off Curtis McGrath yeah phenomenal story had his legs blown off checking IDs or whatever they were and the very thing that he said on the way to the chopper is I'll see you boys at the Olympics. Paralympics. Paraly- pa- see you boys at the Paralympics. And he won. Yeah, a- yeah he's won gold. He won yeah. gold. Yeah. And when you said to him on your podcast, what did this happen to you? He said, it didn't happen to me, it happened for me. And that's the mindset around building resilience. So my question now after that little um, stuff was, how much is consistency a part of building resilience? Success leaves clues and one of those clues is consistency. Mm. So... Uh, Love your quotes, eh? Let me ask you this. Did, <laughs> You're again going to ask me the question. <laughs> yeah, let me ask you this. <laughs> I remember a Nath that achieved a huge goal of doing Kokoda. Mm. 
Is that because you went for one bushwalk and you developed the the resilience and the mindset and also the fitness required for that? Did you just go for one walk and it got you through or did you consistently turn up to those beach sessions? Did you consistently go for those walks where your feet were blistered? Did you consistently put yourself in challenging situations so that you could handle the big challenging situation? Yeah, broken toes and all. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. Like it's consistency. Now, I want to I want to uh, shine a light on on the look I just remember you saying one day also and and I shared the story with you about Oprah Winfrey and she said that like she had lost a large amount of weight once point in a time in her life and she was extremely unhealthy because of the way she lost it and she got all this praise about losing all this weight and she said why does everyone praise me rather than praise my friend who's never put weight on mm. and you said that about your mother-in-law I think it was about your mother-in-law yep. how she is never ever goes without training she's consistent and so like that's that's what I'm talking about yeah so and so building the resilience that you've needed from that moment with your grandparents yeah and so what I would say is consistent consistency in what and that's the that's what I believe part of my purpose is is to help people understand what are the tools, what are the systems, what are the processes that help us live this unbeatable life? Like to help us be resilient, to help us prepare for the worst, to help us prepare for the best, to help us just live every day, every moment, present, optimistic, connected, living our best life. And everyone is in a really tough situation. Sorry, everyone is in a different situation. But consistency of like some daily practices and our non-negotiables. So can if for example, now I know that everything that I'm going through right now, like a lot of the stuff that I shared at the start, if I hadn't consistently done my non-negotiables and my daily practice and consistently done my breathing, consistently done my exercise, consistently connected with my wife at a deeper level, consistently tapped into um, enhancing and optimizing my grandparents' legacy, consistency anchored from my uh, my blueprint, my personal philosophy, consistency in these daily practices, then my nervous system would be shot right now. And I would be beaten for a period of time with what I'm going through right now. Mm. And so even in amongst all of this chaos uh, that we're experiencing, and it's like first world chaos that we're experiencing, but it's full on. Mm. And, you know, and my business and everything that I'm putting together that you guys are starting with me shortly is, um, you know, there's all this stuff that I'm not getting to. And so in my mind, when I let it go there, it's this stress of, oh my God, I don't have time for that. And if I stay in that state, that's what triggers me into those disempowering. So I come back to, okay, hang on. What allows me to be in the best state to operate? For example, today I could have got up and worked this morning because I had this chunk of time this morning. I spent quality time with my family laughing and training on the beach because that is what allows me to feel freaking awesome. Mm. And so having these things. So the consistency piece is an absolute no-brainer because you look at it the other way. If you consistently you know, drink a lot of alcohol, if we consistently eat a lot of shit food, if we consistently don't exercise, if we consistently – are negative towards people, if we consistently treat people like shit, if we consistently treat ourselves like shit, what's going to be the byproduct of that? Mm. So the consistency works both ways. Yeah. And so there's uh, – I had Lane Beachley on the podcast and she said, looking back at beliefs, she said, if you want to know what your beliefs are, take a look at your life. Your life doesn't lie. Yeah, well, there you go. And so when you look at that and reflect on that and you realise, okay, cool. And one thing that I talk about is brutal honesty and radical responsibility. Yeah. And so when we do that and we go, right, yeah. shit. So 
this is an opportunity to reflect and be brutally honest and realize that my beliefs around my health or my beliefs around relationships or my beliefs around being a victim to circumstances, whatever they are, they're really evident because this is all the things that are happening in my life. Wow. Yeah, you consistently get what you consistently do. <laughs> and that's yeah. And then the other bre- and the other way to frame that is, um, if you do what you've always done, then you can you, you get what you've always got. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> can I just say something though? What you said then about the pandemic. So uh, you know, we really use utilize it to our advantage, and we got out of Australia, and we had to apply to leave to go to Sweden. My wife was pregnant. We we're having our second baby there, and we had our tickets booked back for six months later in June 2021 and when we're over there Australia went into lockdown and all these crazy rules and riots and everything and we just said why would we go back yeah. like let's stay over here where we're treated like humans and not zombies and pushed through everything it was really weird to look at it from the outside and see and talk to people like yourself and my friends and family and just hear all of these experiences it was weird like we're on the other side of the world being treated like humans and watching everyone be caged in police helicopters and all this kind of stuff we had an amazing life. We actually moved to Spain for three months oh. during during it, the end of 2021. Wow. And cases were high and huge and people were like, oh, you sure you want to take the kids? And like, like this is the world we live in. Travel and adventure are two of our top core values, yeah, right? Yeah. Are we going to be barricaded by the stories and the news or do we look at things and realise we can actually travel and we trust our immune systems? We know what health is. Like we really went with that. Anyway, so we moved there for three months. October, November, December, before all the snow fell in Sweden because those months aren't great. So we did all of that. And so we utilised this and it's all well and good for me to sit here and say you should utilise that and not be victim to the circumstance. Only a few days ago I had the kids at the playground and I was talking to a lady and she had her 18-month-old there. I had my 18-month and three, three-and-a-half-year-old. And she was telling me, we just got into conversation, and she was telling me because I'd been away for that period and she said, yeah, it was really tough for me. This is my, my youngest of three and my husband worked over the border. We're right on the border where we yeah. are, right? My husband worked over the border and my three daughters couldn't understand why we could go and stand at a barricade and look at him past police and shit like that and not understand why he couldn't come home. Mm. And I was a stay-at-home parent for months yeah. because of that. Yeah. And my heart just sunk and I thought, like, who am I to say to not be a victim to circumstances and, like, get on with it and everything's your choice? Like, that's tough. That yeah. is super tough yeah. and to navigate that. and But she was beautiful. She wasn't a victim to it. And she said, you know, I was just in it. I was a, um, a bum wiper and a, like I was a feedlot for a while. She said, <laughs> I love my kids dearly, but Jesus Christ, it was tough. And she, she'd been a chiropractor and we talked about holistic health and everything. And, you know, they were quite healthy and looking into it. But it just really gave me a different perspective again in there of what we weren't around in all of that and just that um, – so that ability, what we realise throughout all of this too is we were making different choices because there was a lot of times where we could have chosen to go a little bit left and we could have got caught in a lot of the bullshit that was going on but we just anchor into and say, you know, hang on, who are we? Who My are gorgeous yeah. wife and I, who are we? What are our top core values? Yeah. Health, our relationships with each other, travel, adventure. Yeah. How do we live in alignment with that? Yeah. Let's not get caught up in this bullshit. Let's yeah. navigate it from this way. Yeah, that's that's really good because actually it was a, it was something that I was going to say. Something that I live by is my values, and I and I think that's what has helped me uh, rediscover who I really was. You know, you asked me recently on on your podcast, "Who's Nath?" You did it to me. You flipped the script, and my, mine is my values. That's it. That's who I am. You know, want to know who I am? I'm I'm a person that is addicted to helping others. I, I love my faith. I'm I'm 
I'd say I'm courageous because I keep doing stupid things that everyone tries to tell me I shouldn't do. That means it's the right thing to do. Exactly. And I hope it's inspirational. To an extent. I hope it's inspirational because <laughs> that's another one of my values. So that's identity. So your values, how, like, you, and you, like you've answered the question, how much of the how much of the the time when it's building resilience have you had to anchor back into your values as, no, this is the direction. Because during that process, it was so easy to go down a rabbit hole either way. The, the, the conspiracy theorists, things that were going right off this Richter and and I'm not saying they're wrong because a lot of the time now conspiracy theories, they've been proven six months later that it wasn't a conspiracy theory at all. And we know the bullshit's starting to come out. We know there's stuff that's starting to to be exposed that was hidden and and all that. And, again, I have no judgment on either way. I know what my decision is. I know what my values are. I know what, what I'm anchored into and that, as far as I'm concerned, is none of anyone else's business. Um, it's mine, and once it becomes other people's business, I then care about what they think, mm. and I, I can't do that anymore. I, I lived with this um, addiction to approval, and and so I can't do that. So, how often do you remind yourself of your values? Uh, every single day. Love it. Yeah, and multiple times every day. Yeah, because what I've done is actually designed my life to live in alignment with them, mm. and. You know, the way we've done that is, you know, traveling the world, travel and adventure. And my gorgeous wife is from Sweden and we're not going to live in one sort of place. We've decided we're going to homeschool our kids so we can be doing the curriculum on the other side of the world. Uh, and also we've realized that we're not fit for homeschooling. So we're going to have a nanny at different periods of time <laughs> as well or an au pair. Um, you know, health-wise, like why did I choose this morning when I've got so much on my plate to start my day by having big belly laughs with my family and exercising barefoot, on the sand, in the sun at the same time because my top core value is my health, my physical, mental and emotional health and well-being mm. and I know what I need to do to be optimal in that space mm. and I know that if I don't live in alignment with that, then how that's going to impact me. It might not impact me tomorrow, maybe not even next week. I can, you know, and I've been through periods of time back in the party days of not training and eating shit and just drinking for a long, like a long period and day after day things were awesome then all of a sudden it hits you. And so this, this uh, you know, also the relationships. There's a lot of tension points in life with all of these curveballs that are thrown at us, but we come back to what's most important, like what are our top core values around relationship? And my wife and I have a few top few key rules and the first one is crystal clear communication. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, if we're not crystal clearly communicating with each other, but, it, you know, that goes back into, well, if our relationships, our loving relationship is one of our top core values or priorities in our life, and we're not navigating it from these perspectives of the rules and guidelines that we've put into place. So it's not just about saying I love you and supporting each other and being there. It's also about this deeper connection and it's also about the fun side of it as well. Mm. It's also about the sexual side of it as well. Like that's it's all a big part of it. So if we didn't prioritise that amongst the chaos, then we're choosing to live out of alignment. We're choosing for all of these tension points to kind of beat us and, and we're choosing then for it to derail us and live out of alignment. Yeah, that's a really good that's a really good answer because finding that bubble of calm and the chaos, anchoring yourself back into your values, and I, I really believe that's what we need to build resilience. It's just finding that spot, like that spot. You know, the shit's happening. That what what is? There's no such thing as smooth sailing, right? The vicissitudes are chucking big big rocks at us, and it's just like I know, I'm I'm this, and that's what you're saying. No, this is who I am. I am anchoring my into my values. I'm choosing to exercise the habits that I've built to to display my values, and 
because of that, I can handle the calm and the chaos. You can handle the mouldy furniture in the the shed and the fact that the immigration department uh, can't answer your phone calls properly and so on right now. There was something um, in that I was going to um, – where did I hear this recently? Uh, do you – like? and I heard this recently. Um, these things that are coming at you, maybe they're setting you up for something more amazing. So the vicissitudes that come at us, sometimes we resist them rather than assist them. And if we resist them, we're not going to see what's going to be on the other side of that amazing thing. So you're strengthened in the battle for the battle. So that means that you're, the battle that you're in right now, if you actually operate out of what you're saying, the calm and the chaos and anchoring into your values and all that, then you're getting strength for the next battle. But there could be something amazing on the other side of that so many people miss. And, and yeah, I just thought it was amazing and I thought about you then and I thought oh, I need to share that with you, that, you know, you're, you're facing a few adversities at the moment and um, – and there should be no watering down of those because they're yours and that's your truth and that's what you're going through. And But I reckon there's something amazing on the other side of it. Yeah, well, you said maybe and it's a definitely. Yeah, I, and, I just shouldn't so, have said maybe. I should, yeah, and I, I knew you meant definitely and we know that. And yeah. so a lot of the stuff that I say to people is it doesn't – I shouldn't say it doesn't matter. It's not about what you know. It's about what you practice. Yeah. And so it's not enough for us, you and I, to know who we are and know what our values are and know what our philosophies are. We have to live that. Habits. And so I can sit here and say, I know something's better on the other side, but I don't care. Like this is all bullshit mm. and the world's against me. Victim. Yeah. I can say, I know something's on the other side. Things are really tough right now. We're navigating it, but we know, we believe. Mm. And this is optimism, right? You know, there's studies show that optimism, uh, optimists live longer and better lives, even if they're wrong. There you go. Even if they're wrong. <laughs> so give me an, I'll give you an example. That's why I know I'm living to 110. My wife and I are just so optimistic that people can't handle it, including family members. Oh, really? They would try, they would like, are you sure you want to do that? As an example, if you meet, when you meet, you met Ollie years ago, but honestly, they've got more energy than me. This morning, the training session, up and down these sand dunes, Ollie, who's three and a half, We'd sprint up together and then sprint down. I've got to rest. No, no, we go again. Papa, <laughs> we, we speak in Swedish. We go again, Papa, we go again. He's like up and then down. We'll, we'll rest a little bit. So, okay, we'll rest. Now we go. Boom. And so <laughs> he's got more energy than me already. Um, we chose to live. We're going to, we're buying a big bus to live in, the four of us, my gorgeous wife and these two kids. Yeah. Uh, 33 foot bus. That's pretty small. Yeah. Your office here is bigger, right? Yes. The, the way we're sitting, yeah. like n- yeah. not this room, but yeah. the whole office is bigger yeah. than that. So we're choosing to put ourselves in this and we just love the idea of it, like travel and adventure. We'll be at this caravan park for a while. We'll be on this bushland 15 minutes away from the beach for a while. Then we'll find somewhere more permanent here and then we can travel up and down the coast a little bit as well. Awesome. Like there's all of those extra things. And then there's the conflict and the tension of toddlers and the chucking shit and, you know, the, all of that that goes with it. And so people were like, are you sure like you want to live this yeah. kind of life and really challenging it. And it was just, you know, are you sure you can actually park it in different places and all these kind of things? I'm like, of course we can. We don't know, but of course, like we're going to go in with, to it with optimism. Lots of different challenges. That's part of all the, these curveballs that have been thrown at us that there's government regulations and council restrictions and, and then there was other problems as well. Anyway, the bus has fallen through like literally just in the last two days. But we for months on the other side of the world have been – looking at and had people around the country going and looking at different buses for us. Like we've done all the groundwork and we're that close to handing over the money and then 
we just have to surrender because it's not happening. And that, that's what you were saying, like this ability to surrender. And it's hard. It's actually a bit grieving for us because we're attached to this kind of life that we're going to set up. And now like we've just got to go, okay, it just wasn't meant to be this time. Yeah. Have we failed? Did we waste all of that time? Well, you could stay that, say that and feel like we had or we can just say that's who we are and that's what we're pushing for. And at this moment in time, there's just a lot of signs from the universe to say now's not the time yeah. and we're just going to surrender to that. Yeah. That's just releasing the expectations. We, we can so often write these expectations when it comes to optimism or things that we want to go after, a goal that we want, a 33-foot beautiful bus to, for the kids to live on and this is what we want, this is what we're going for. But then we put an expectation of, oh, it's going to happen on this date and we're going to be optimistic about this date, this thing, this. it's all going to line up. That floors people when it doesn't. But your ability to pivot or your agility to pivot is, is re- rewriting the expectations. Like, And I love that. That's, that's absolutely beautiful because toxic positivity would, would put an put a expectation around that and if it doesn't happen, then uh, it's dangerous for people like that. So... Yeah, and just on that word as a little bit of a tangent because we're talking about resilience, there was a study that was done from people who survived 9-11 okay. by a group of psychologists and some people, the people who thrived afterwards and had built, I can't say better lives, but grown and evolved and developed similar to how I've chosen to turn the rock into a feather and comparing that to people who struggled really like mentally and emotionally after that and hadn't been able to get back to their their normal like what resilience is the ability to bounce back to normal so what they noticed was the key thing with all the people who were able to turn the rock into a feather and weren't stuck was their ability to bring positivity into their life and into the situation wow and so positive thinking and like this toxic positivity like what you said, but this ability because from the positivity of, okay, you know, it's that mindset shift. It's that, para, it's that person with a disability that chooses to accept the situation and yeah. say, I'm going to make the most of it now as opposed to the person that's still stuck in victim mentality. Yeah. It's the me in anger and resentment and hating the world and either choosing to be stuck there and try and fight from that space or to choose to shift from that. Yeah. And so that it, like it's, it is positivity, yeah. optimism, gratitude, happiness, all of these things that we choose, it's, it's positive outcomes as opposed to negative. Yeah. And I like to say empowering versus disempowering. So yeah. I like that empowering versus disempowering too because positivity can also, the word positivity can also give a wrong impression. Like positivity is up, up, it's flying, it's all go, but it's like, hang on, how do we look at this differently? That's positivity. That's perspective change. So, <laughs> you know, one of the, my greatest teachers of resilience in a human being, so the greatest teachers of resilience are the life experiences. There's another beautiful soul, uh, and I had her on the podcast again recently, is Kath Cashel. Oh, she was great. That was a great episode, by the way. If you haven't listened to Robbo's podcast with that one, you've got to tune in. It was a really banging podcast. Loved it. And so she's not a Paralympian, uh, and she, you know, her story of multiple broken backs and um, mm. survivor of suicide, brain tumour and healed it naturally, just hit after hit after hit. And I, I take a lot of... Uh, this is with no disrespect to kind of fast forward through this, this timeline for her, but just to show, you know, she realized that when she was more kind to people throughout these processes, so she was hit really hard and she's in multiple rehabs, found her partner and uh, brain tumor and different things like that, like all of these situations. 
and she found that uh, when she was kind to people, she was fueling up one day and decided to pay for someone's fuel and they said, oh, my God, that's amazing. Took a selfie and it went viral on on social media and she's like, oh, I didn't do it for that reason. When she was in rehab, she'd get cups of tea for all the oldies and help them out and just opening doors for people, doing all these acts of kindness. She realised, I actually do it because it makes me feel good. Like it's kind of this selfish, selfless type of thing. But I also see the ripple effect in other people's lives. And, uh, you know, and she was a really good one to anchor into gratitude for what she does have in her life and what's ahead of her as opposed to resentful for what she doesn't have anymore. And, uh, and also laughter was a big part of her. So but this resilience thing, but, you know, chatting to her and realising she's created the kindness factory. Yeah. And so she's around these acts of kindness all the time and kindness has literally saved her life and it's this ripple effect of beautiful things in kindness and she's got these amazing curriculums out to the world and helping with kids because if we can help with kids that it can help with adults, all that kind of stuff. Anyway, so my point to this is about resilience is what she's learned and it aligns with what I've learned is – it's about perspective. Yeah. The resilience comes from your ability to change your perspective of the situation. You can't change what the situation is, but you can change the meaning of that. Yeah. And it doesn't have to be the murder of your grandparents or a lost, uh, you know, it can be a loss of a business years ago. It can be a relationship breakup in the past. It can be, you know, failing at a subject, whatever it might be in your past. It's just a past experience and you get to choose what you do with that past experience. And as you know, the way I teach it is you take those past experiences with you into the future whether you like it or not because they're going to be memories. Mm. So you get to choose the meaning of those past experiences. Are you a failure at relationships because you've had failed relationships or have you learned a lot and you choose to take responsibility and work on yourself and then you attract the type of relationship that you want? Mm. Same with business. Learn from the mistakes and have another crack. Like you're a great example of that and you, you express that openly on my podcast. It's not the, the past experiences from – you know, from now on, from where you and me and I are sitting right now in this room, all of our past experiences are behind us and they are a part of who we are. But from who we are now and into the future, we it's a clean slate. Mm. We can actually choose in every moment, in every day to who we're going to show up to allow us, and this goes back to me, I designed my life to live in alignment with my values. We get to choose who we are now and in every moment to ensure that that clean slate plays out in our favor as much as possible of what's in our control. So we focus on our controllables. Our past experiences can come with us as heavy bricks in the backpack because we give it meaning of this failure and life's hard and this victim mentality, and the anger and resentment that I carried in my backpack for a while. Or we can do the work to chip away at those bricks in the backpack. It's a slow process. We shouldn't do it on our own. Support, tribe, yeah. network, everything to help us chip away at those so they become a memory. And we become stronger because of those. Mm. Stronger, we become more resilient because of those. We become better versions of ourselves because we choose to because of those situations. Yeah. Well, you know, um, to all our guests out there, before I'm not going to ask you a question. I'm going to just give a bit of a testimony. Um before I met Robbo, I had failed, I think, four times in business and had to restart. But it wasn't until I got the understanding of of what he just said that now um, it's not that I failed in business, it's that uh, I, I failed in my mindset and learning the tools to go, I'm going to take all those memories and turn them into a positive understanding of what I can use in the future and since then we're we're just flying our our business acumen's grown 
our facilities have grown, everything's grown, and it's purely come about because of that taking those lessons. Like we hear it quite a lot. You can get knocked down, but it's how you get up, right? But that sometimes can be bullshit if you're not getting up the right way, if you're not taking those failures and changing the story, changing the, the thought processes around it and go, like what what can I change about this situation to make it more positive so I can grow from it? Because I can get up a million times and get knocked down the same way. But how can I get up and never got get knocked down again in that same way? And so it's a bit of a testimony to what Robbo does and who this man is. And I, I love him dearly as a as a man. Um yeah. But I've got a couple of questions, and I, I am now conscious of time. I've got no idea how we've been, how long we've been talking. I'm for not going to tell you. Don't tell me because it feels like five minutes. Yep. Um, can you? And, and we're going to get into the unbeatable you. I want you to explain unbeatable you to everyone because, like, I fully believe in what you're doing um, as much as I believe in my faith, and that's as much as I believe in my children, as much as I believe in my wife. I, I fully support and endorse what you do. So, but I have a question for you here. It's, can you tell us, um, has there been a moment in your life that you felt fully alive, whether it be through trauma or relation? Well, you may have had a, a lot of them, but what is the biggest one where you have felt fully alive, like something has brought you present? Oh, the birth of my child, children. There you go. Absolutely. Uh I would also say some uh, some small athletic feats as well, like feeling fully alive. When you put your heart and soul into every training session and all the discipline and all the choices that you don't have and then you run a PB. I might have come last in the race when I was running against Chervo and Patrick Johnson, but I run my best and I'm just fucking proud. Yeah. feel fully alive. Uh, times when, you know, I'll, we will get that aliveness very soon when we're on the other side of all these challenges. Yeah. That aliveness when uh, – when we made it to Spain, you know, amongst all the chaos and everyone saying, you sure you want to do this? And we moved two toddlers and it's bloody challenging with two toddlers and Marie was still breastfeeding at that time. And we sit on the rooftop of that apartment block where I did some coaching sessions with you. And we look around and we say, do you remember sitting in our apartment five years ago in Sydney saying, let's create a vision of how we want to live life. We want to travel between both countries. We want to be able to take our work with us. We don't have to be anchored into one spot. That means we can't be employed. We're both employed in that moment. There's all these changes ahead of us. We're like, holy shit, that's a big vision. And here we are living that with two beautiful kids. And Five happily, years later. Happily married. Wow. So, you know, that, that energy throughout that. And then there's the, you know, because you mentioned the word trauma, there's, the, there's a different, like fully alive in terms of, um, nervous system on high alert and the, the the stressful state as well in those moments too of shit I've been in car accidents before and you know pretty horrific and different situations like that and obviously the situation of, of trauma that I shared too so that aliveness is uh, there's been those multiple times I think I understand your question properly but you know the other great ones is and I'll go back to it because this morning was one of them where I finished that session and Marie and Indiana, the two beautiful women in my life have gone upstairs to the apartment and my son and I are still running around. At the end of it, we just high-fived and we're covered in sweat and covered in sand and we're going to be a little bit late to, to um, what we had to get to. And I was buzzing, like I felt fully alive because I had chosen today to start my day in that way and I was buzzing because of the, the 
hormones and the uh, the adrenaline and like everything within me that makes you feel fully alive. That is amazing. That is an amazing answer. There is a, the reason why I asked the question. I'll tell you now, is because I do believe that getting ourselves back to presence is is also a very is a very big key in learning resilience. Is making sure that we are anchoring ourselves into presence. So to be present, to be fully alive, and sometimes life comes along and just goes like this. Often. And <laughs> the vicissitudes again, those bloody rocks. <laughs> um, <laughs> those beautiful all, rocks. All those things that we choose, like you said, like getting a PB in a race, even if it is against someone that and there's no comparison, your comparison was you. You did better than you ever did. And that's another lesson for everyone is all you have to do is be better tomorrow than you are today. And that's all. Not You can't be better than anyone else. But I, I believe those moments bring us back to present because sometimes we're thinking – I like tomorrow I'm going to run a race and I'm going to I'm going to do better but right today how are you running your race today and that's where we can only build resilience in the moment we can't build it in the future mm. it's here you know so that's the reason I asked the question can I just say something on that too please do uh, better than tomorrow so I used to love that and think about if I just got to be a bit better tomorrow than I am today like that's the way moving forward yesterday I was not better than I was the day before so yesterday I had some experiences and I was kindly like emotionally up and down, like I said, and I cried at the end of that phone call and it was just this hit after hit after hit and all this uh, external stress. I was not better than I was the day before. But what was consistent away from that was the quality family time. Still got my exercise in, eating healthy. I meditated last night. I messaged you about that afterwards. Yeah. It was um, thanks to you and a little like reminder of that. Ask first. Yep, came, <laughs> came in with some self-compassion. So I was consistent with these practices that even amongst the chaos, I know I've still got to do these kind of things. Uh, and, and therefore, it goes back to what you said before about that consistency. So I don't ever now strive to be better every day. My goal is to focus on those things. I, all I have to do, like simply click, right? One of your values is simplicity. I go back to my blueprint. Shit has hit the fan. There's all these things out of my control. I know if I just focus on the controllables, things will be great. Like yeah. Things will, will be I'll, – I'll get through this. So what can I control? I can control who I am. I can control my choices. I can control my beliefs. I can control my actions. Mm. And so what are my actions? I'm going to act in alignment with my values. What mm. are my values? You know, what all of these different kind of things. What's on my feel freaking awesome list? Mm. It's exercise. It's big belly laughs. It's – connection with my gorgeous wife it's my breathing practices you know all of the it's the cold showers and different things like that so mm. it's that consistency because i know it was only after having kids that i realized every day doesn't get better yeah <laughs> oh i can't say that because i experienced adversity but it's the consistency now of these multiple day challenges and sleep deprivation that's out of my control with having kids I still know that if I focus on fitting in my non-negotiables and the things that I can control, when all of these external pressures aren't there, I'm still me at my best. Yeah. And I can take that with me into the next environment. Yeah, that's brilliant. And I just want to add to that as well. I think that's what is being better today than, than yesterday. I, I do. I, I, I think that even though you're going to have some challenges today um, and it might knock your attitude or it might knock your mindset, but you have done the consistent work in the routine and the FFA and the CCC and the clear concise communication that is and, and every one of those things, you've done that work today and that's made you slightly better today than you were yesterday because of the, you're building the consistency. It doesn't mean 
shit's not going to happen. It does not mean that. And it doesn't mean your reactions are going to be right, perfect. They can't expect that. You know, we don't know what's going to happen. So, all right, mate. Well, I'm going to hand it over to you for a few minutes just to talk about Unbeatable You. Um, and I want – yeah, so if you can share with – with where you're going with that, what that's all about. So, um, and if there's anyone out there listening to this, um, you could do no better than to sign up for this program at all. Thank you. Have I? Do you get a cut for that? Is that why you're saying that? Have I, have I talked <laughs> well, about? Well, I'm it? hoping. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. No. no. All jokes but, aside. Um, yeah. Thank you. And so, unbeatable you is not a program. It's a way of life. Yep. And what I mean by that is my addiction to working on myself and my addiction to learning from other people through their challenges, their adversities or elders, people like Dr. Arna Rubenstein, even people like yourself. Like I, I jokingly say that I can't believe you used to pay me to coach you on the beach because I would get a lot of your wisdom at the same time. My grandfather, just people like these coaches that I've traveled the world to learn from. The digital mentors, like you say, with podcasts and books and everyone. So all of this learning, this addiction and this um, understanding and this perspective and this choice that I've made in life is that we're going to keep getting hit with these challenges and adversities day in, day out. The big ones, the small ones, the dropping the eggs, the murder of my grandparents. So what is it? What are these consistent practices that allow us to not be beaten by these circumstances and these situations and to live unbeatable? Unbeatable doesn't mean we're immune to the challenges. It means we're not beaten by them. So through studying people and working with and mostly working with men these days and these are men's groups that I work with and I'm so honoured to have you as a part of that for, for quite a while now is there's this understanding that um, we kind of lose a lot of passion and purpose in our life. So I'm sure that you started your painting business, business with a lot of passion. Mm. Like this is, this is going to be thriving. This is awesome. I'm bloody good at what I do. I'm going to make a business of this. And then you get into that and you lose that passion and mm. you lose that purpose behind it. And you know, you, you don't really have a mission anymore. It just becomes this thing that you've got to do in this grind and you might be making good money and having, you know, a good life around that at times but there's just something missing. And so, you know, if we lose passion and purpose and don't have a clear mission, that mission isn't about us, it's also about other people, then that can really impact us and make us start to feel what I call experiencing midlife mediocrity. Yeah. You know, I'm in my midlife. I'm 36. Mm. 35 to 55, <laughs> we're technically in our midlife. Yeah. But – even if it, it, I think, you know, I'm actually living to I'm 110. So, you know, yeah. this, my midlife period <laughs> yeah. is extending quite yeah. a bit. Yeah, well, I'm with you there because uh, I'm not in my midlife yet even though I'm 55. The, yeah, so what, I, what a lot of people and a lot of guys get told is that you'll experience midlife crisis. Yeah. And like, okay, so that's a huge label. Yeah. What does crisis mean? Like if you really look at what a crisis is, it's, you know, a crisis situation is something that's like out of control. And so guys are forced to think that I'm going to experience this midlife crisis. And I only speak to guys because not because I'm a guy but because I work mostly with men now. And, and the reason I like to focus on the men as well is because of the ripple effect. If I can teach guys to have that self-compassion and self-love and find this mission and purpose and value in themselves and then we enhance the relationship with ourselves and then with the people around us, then the ripple effect is endless. Mm. And so, you know, this mission and energy levels, you know, what we find in this period of time is, for example, if we're not focusing on the things that give us energy, we'll be drained of energy. Yeah. And at the end of the day, we kind of feel like, shit, I, I just want to sit down. I don't want to, I don't even want to go for a surf or hang out with my mates or spend quality time with my family or, you know, do my hobbies. I just don't have the energy. I'm just burnt out. So 
looking at these natural ways and ways that we generate energy on demand as opposed to feeling depleted from energy. And that goes with what we eat, how we move, how we think, and some other general kind of practices through mind, body and breath that help us generate energy. Uh, then looking at things like a huge part of um, who we are is our relationships because even if you're not in a romantic relationship, you have relationship with a lot of other people. And so mm-hmm. if we don't learn how to communicate with people, we don't learn how to be at our best and then to have quality relationships with people and not just talk about the footy and the weather or the surf or whatever, but actually talk about the depth of things, then that's, you know, this expansion of relationships. And then, of course, uh, we need to look at tribe. And so I've mentioned it a few times that I've had support networks around me. I've been the support network for a part of a support network for a lot of people uh, through athletes that I've coached, through the men's groups that I hold space for, and we create these groups as well. But if, you know, you said it before that iron sharpens iron Mm. and – it's really empowering when we have a tribe of people who can, who are living this unbeatable life and they, they live this life to a higher standard of themselves and not in this way of egotistical and prove you wrong. It's this, I respect my health. I respect my mind, body and soul. I respect other people like love first, love always, love wins type mm-hmm. thing and being around those kind of people and they're successful successful in their businesses and they optimize their relationships with themselves and with others so we're consistently surrounded by these other people then that's going to allow us to raise our bar yeah we're never on our own so unbeatable you is this way of life where i've pulled together all of these different philosophies and you know we do there's a lot of mindset work there's breath work there's a lot of focus on self then there's a lot of focus on others we look at how we use our wealth creation vehicles to make impact in the world we look at our leadership capacities for self and for others whether we're a business owner or a leader in a different organization we're looking at nutrition and movement and different things like that like all of these pieces of the puzzle that i've seen in paralympic athletes in my life work in kath cashel even in your life and like when we talked about on the podcast what's changed to allow you to not be beaten by those experiences anymore and pulling them all together the mentors that i've learned from around the world and pulling it all together in this one experience so that for the men you know it's men only that we can learn to live and be surrounded by other people who are living these unbeatable lives wow well there you go like i don't think you like you know i think every man needs that like it's so easy for blokes to get stuck on that rat wheel of, you know, that made on a tradie business or may even be a successful manager or CEO of a business, but they're just, there's something missing. There's something, that next level missing. And um, I heard this recently. And so what I know about what you're doing is you're creating a place of belonging, a place where people belong. And I heard this not recently, a couple of years ago, um, and I can't remember the lady's name, but she was on Brene Brown's uh, podcast. And they did a study about people who say they're burnt out. And the actual fact that when people say they're burnt out, they're actually displaying that they're lonely. And she was she was in the Air Force and she was articulating this, was talking to these uh, 40 airmen and and one of them put his hand up and says, when is, when is the hierarchy, when are the up and ups going to take the foot off the pedal? We're just burnt out. And she said, she said, um, who here is burnt out? And every one of the 40 put their, their hand up. They're burnt out. They're tired. They're worn out from all the pressure. And she went straight into this study that she had just read, and I think it was from Stanford or somewhere. And knowing they're all men um, and they're bravado, they're not going to own up to everything. And she explained the study and then she said, so who here is lonely? 
and 15 of the men put their their hands up. Um, so you know you can probably say there's probably double that that felt that. And the reason I'm the reason I'm talking about that is that being a part of unbeatable you is not just about you getting better. It's about you belonging to something that's going to help you with like I think men feel lonely. I think they do. I think especially entrepreneurs. I think like myself, I've felt quite often I felt at the edge of the spear, you know, trying to break ground in areas that people say, what are you doing that now for? You're 55 or are you bloody stupid? Like what? why are you trying that? We don't understand what you're doing. And and I'm like quite lonely in that aspect. And But being a part of a, a tribe is what makes that easier. So I hugely honour you, mate. I really do. And I, we're going to, we're going to, get off this podcast in a minute but I, I still don't want to um <laughs> let's do round two three let, four and five yeah let's do that <laughs> i have a question uh you have to answer this really quickly okay and um if you've listened to the podcast before you might know what i'm about to do oh there's two questions what is the worst thing that anyone has ever said to you that's not possible that's fantastic what is the best thing that everyone said ever said to you I know I have to answer this quickly, but um, the best thing that anyone has ever said to me. Okay, there's multiple, but what comes to mind straight away is what Kate said to me in that moment. And what, uh, just as a reminder, and what she said to me is, you can be more of a whole person because of this experience. Wow. Yeah, that's really good. And we will actually put Kate's um, kindness project called Kindness Factory in the show notes. No, so Kate was the psychologist that I oh, worked sorry. with. So, and then Kath is Kath. The, the Kindness Factory. Yeah. Kindnessfactory.com I think it is. Yeah, we want to put that Kath because uh, that was just phenomenal. And uh, I think that we should all be doing random act of kindnesses every day. Um, I was going to ask you what your mission is, but you've given up your mission anyway. And so to close this out, um, I just want to ask how can I help? So part of my mission is to create tribes of unbeatable men and the way that we do that is by showing up as our best selves. So the way that you can help is by consistency, is by consistently anchoring into and living from the ver- like your best version, living from your values, living in alignment, being that inspirational, influential and impactful role model that you are for, for your beautiful family, for the community, for this community of listeners that you're creating as well the and by you i'm talking to everyone here not just men because i work closely with men but all souls is the ripple effect of that of all of us choosing to choose ourselves and show up and do the work and and aim to be the best version of ourselves whether that's in amongst the chaos or not um the ripple effect is abundantly impactful and huge so what you can do for me is consistently show up as the best version of yourself and consistently do the work. Oh, we'll do that for sure and so should everyone else. Um, if uh, you've got anything else you want to share just quickly, um, go for it. Okay, so I'm, I'm going to keep it short and sweet anyway because I think we've said enough. And But what the way that I want to finish is by saying I hope – that this conversation has raised more questions than answers. Yeah. And from those questions, please reach out to either Nath or I because questions show curiosity. And from that curiosity, as you know, and from asking, empowering questions bring empowering answers. And that empowerment of self allows us to 
take empowered action and inspired action. So that back to that motivation, like don't wait for the motivation. Motivation is this external beast that we keep chasing. Instead of waiting for the motivation, tap into the inspiration. From inspired action, you will consistently feel in alignment from inspired action instead of chasing motivation. So to wrap it up is to, you know, just to live inspired, to tap into that inspiration and, and live from inspiration instead of chasing the motivation. Awesome, mate. Well, I've loved having you here and I know that our producer's going, you guys should have shut up like 20 minutes ago. There's no way we are going to do that. Um, <laughs> and so, like, absolutely honoured to have you on. Looking forward. To, I'm glad you're back now because we, uh, we can get some of those one-on-ones under our belt. Um, I much prefer to see it physical, you know, than, uh, than virtual. Um, so we're going to check out here. Thank you, everyone, for tuning in. Thanks, mate. It's been an absolute honour and I'm super grateful for all of those of you who are still listening. And I say it now because you know that I'm addicted as well, but super grateful that you tuned in and super grateful for your time, mate. Honoured to be here. Love it, mate. Awesome. That was the end of another episode. Thanks so much for tuning in today. If you've enjoyed this episode, I would love for you to rate, review and subscribe as this will help me get my message out to more people. If you've heard anything today that has resonated with you, please feel free to reach out to me on Instagram at Nath Cartledge. All the other ways to contact me will be in the show notes. I'd love to chat and hear your thoughts. Can't wait to Conflab next week.